Hello, all, and welcome to INE Live. I'm your host, Jack Reedy, Director of Cybersecurity Content here at INE, and this is our second INE Live for Cybersecurity Awareness Month. All month long, I'll be coming in on INE Live to talk about different aspects of the cybersecurity field, culminating in our IT horror story stream on Halloween itself. Follow our socials to submit your workplace horror story and have a chance to win a one year premium subscription. Today, we're going to dive into cyber careers and how to stay safe while working as a cyber pro. Be it tools, behaviors, or best practices, we're going to review what to do to remain safe as you continue to do the work that you do. Now, first, as we do each time we stream at INE Live, I want to let you know we are live across multiple social media platforms right now, including LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch, plus a couple other websites. Be sure to like and subscribe and follow on the social media platform of your choice so you can stay in the loop whenever we do go live. If you want to get involved, talk to us, talk to others. We'd love to see that. You feel free to add us on any type of social or drop a question in chat. Our team is monitoring. They'll send it my way. Throw a cue in front of it. That would really, really help. But if you have a comment, if you have a question, please be, uh, be sure to drop it in. I'll be able to grab it and answer them as quickly as I can. Uh, live. We'll get it to as I will promise I will get to as many as possible today. Now, specifically, I do want to clarify just right at the top that today's talk is about security, as in what we would call OPSEC or operational security, how you go through your day, uh, how you go through your day on a daily basis, um, your everyday carrier, EDC, that type of stuff. It is not about privacy. These are two different subjects that are often conflated. Specifically about privacy is there's a lot of conversation about either de-Googling or, you know, going Amazon free in your life and not engaging with larger tech companies. And while that is fine, that is a completely separate subject than what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is trying to avoid being targeted while conducting work that is critical to a business environment. Specifically, if you're an IT administrator, if you are a cybersecurity pro, if you're an um, instant response analyst, even if you're a red team, an attacker in and of itself, but you work for a full-time company, you may be targeted based on the work that you're doing. Another aspect I also want to talk about is what does it take to begin studying in this field. So I'm going to cover the first part, what does it take to begin studying, and then we'll roll into what does it take to continue to work in. First off, what does it take to begin studying? A laptop. That's it. Very, very frequently I get the question, now, a lot of us and uh, that work in the field get the question all the time, what does it take you know, to start studying cybersecurity? What, and then I get just a massive amount of specs or... Uh, does the HP X1 work versus the, you know, Google tablet versus, it doesn't matter. Literally, if you can turn it on and access the internet, start there. Um, the only specifications that I would suggest is if you are a research author, you may want the ability to run virtual machines. 
which can be difficult in certain operating systems and certain form factors like laptops. You can run virtual machines off of laptops, but if you run into a hardware issue with a laptop, it's much diff much more difficult to uh, upgrade than it would be a tower. That is the, literally the only thing. However, nowadays, with the ability to, um, you know, with cloud infrastructure being so cheap and widely available, very frequently you can just build your research lab in a cloud environment in the first place. So if you are starting off at day zero, I really wouldn't be that concerned about the next laptop that you're getting. Just making sure that it has enough, uh, enough memory to open up Google Chrome as a browser and you'll be able to get where you need to go. Because um, frequently I have so many people like, I want to I study cybersecurity, but I need this laptop. And it usually comes with a two grand price tag to it. I'm like, why do you need that laptop? You don't. You don't at all. You'd be able to watch some videos and start doing some stuff in the cloud. That's it. Um, I I see everybody there. I swoof. I wasn't ready. Excellent. Um, wonderful, wonderful. Just making sure that everything's coming through. So moving forward, what do we need as far as cell phones go? Well, I kind of already talked about the privacy concern, which is something separate. There are certain phones that if you are, um, let's say, a reporter or a um, somebody that works in the military or federal government, depending on your country. Um, if you are somebody that is likely to be targeted, you might have a beneficial, um, you would find it beneficial to engage in specialty devices. Okay. Um, there are programs like the Tempest program that involves from a construction standpoint, making sure that you don't leak secrets accidentally. Uh, being a prior military member, uh, worked out of the Pentagon for a while. You know, we we had a lot of different engagement and topics on architecture, even you know, security by design. Um, but we're not going to deep dive into that. We're going to talk more so and go into what are the things that you can do as an individual. Um, when it comes to cell phones, realistically, it's just stay up to date on your iOS updates. There's not too much there now. Obviously, sourcing your applications from a known good author, uh, you know, be it the Android, what is it, the Play Store now, Google Play, Android Play Store, um, iOS, it would be from, you know, sourcing it directly from Apple, not grabbing any type of jailbroken applications in there. Um, that's, it's, it's very specific towards making sure you're installing it appropriately. Not to say that malware doesn't live in some of those play stores, some of those uh, stores that are available, it's just starting the supply chain from the source. I don't know if anybody else remembers Napster, LimeWire, FrostWire, or any of the other torrenting sites that we used to ruin our family's computers with back in the day. But <laughs> sourcing material is a really key part of maintaining your safety. It's very common. A lot of the, and I do apologize because a lot of these guidelines are going to seem exactly like what we tell people to operate safety safely from a uh, cybersecurity awareness standpoint, but it's going to be about the same, just a little bit different. One thing that I personally like to maintain on my cell phone is uh, I maintain an application that allows me from an administrative standpoint to access all the logs on my phone at any given time. Same with any of the file folders, with exception, there's a couple key ones that are locked by the vendor that you can't get into. 
Um, but I maintain a couple of those tools as well. I also maintain on my phone at any time a network pack packet analyzer. So with those two devices, I can look at any logs of my phone whenever I need to and access and permissions that have been granted. Um, I have it set to developer's mode so I can frequently, whenever I want to, audit my device. And I also have, like I said, a network packet analyzer and that, can, that includes also Wi-Fi mapping, things like that. So I keep a couple tools very specifically for me on my Android. I think in total, whenever I get a new device, it costs me $5 maybe for the tool sets in total. Um, a couple of them I bought for life, you know, at 10 or $12 or something like that. Like very, very cheap. Um, I say that to say I don't necessarily need uh, an iPhone 14 Max Pro Plus whatever the second that it drops to maintain my security. I just said I, I personally use an Android, which I can almost figuratively hear people cringing at that you know, green bubble, but, um, it's still, it's a, it's a device that it is personal preference. Still, you can remain secure on either, or yes, there are technically more vulnerabilities with the Android system as opposed to iOS. However, it's personal preference. We can start talking a little bit about jump drives, generally keeping a jump drive on you with some software. You can choose to do that. I will tell you in the last decade, the amount of times that I'm so glad I had a USB device on me was two times. And even then I didn't use it for what I had pre-programmed. So just because I had Kali as an operating system available on a USB device doesn't mean I used it at all. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things where you can choose to keep that. You know, a lot of times I see people that keep them on their car keys is generally a good place for that. Um, I think that your toolkit will evolve as will you when it comes to the job that you're specifically doing. What I'm talking about from a cybersecurity perspective, a lot of the work that I would do as a cybersecurity analyst would be, or engineer, would be in a cloud environment. So I would be logging into portals within the cloud. I found things like YubiKeys, which were security device that would have plug into my plug into my laptop to allow me access. That I found a lot more useful than you know having a Kali OS on a USB drive. Now, to clarify, when I was a cybersecurity engineer, when I was a cybersecurity analyst, um, and not doing the educational portion of things, I was working in Manhattan. So there have been times where I've left my um, company laptop either in a cab or um, on a, on a uh, train. And now while I was able to recover it, still being able to have that extra layer of security in there was very beneficial but because that was what was good for me in my instance. It's kind of the same reason why um, when I was a daily commuter, I would keep a water bottle that looked like a notebook. It was extremely thin because it fit into my bag really, really well, right? Instead of one of the big round ones. Um, but that was because I was riding a commuter train every single day for three hours a day. So the thing, what I'm basically saying is when it comes to security and operational security, you have to adjust it to your footprint in a way that makes sense best for you because you can write whatever security policy you want or rules for yourself to adhere to, but if you don't adhere to them because they're unnatural or they take too much work and effort, then it's just writing something on paper, 
right? You have to engineer solutions that you can stick with. So that's really wraps up most of the technology part. The laptop for learning, it doesn't matter. When it comes to working in the field, you're going to be issued a laptop by your company, generally speaking. I have yet to go to a company that's like, use your own equipment. And if that's the case, then you'll have a security posture to work from. Now, what you can change is your behaviors. And this is the better part, the bigger part of working in cybersecurity with the best tips and the best practices. Let me take a look at this, see if we have any comments right now. What is a roadmap of search to become best cybersecurity engineer, Herman? Hey, I'll let you know, um, we did a review of all the certifications last week, so you can find it on our YouTube. Um, I would say we have EDA coming out, which is excellent to place to start for engineering, as well as I would argue starting with a good exposure in our web defense uh, professional is also an excellent place to start for our, a um, engineering background as well. Um, hashtag team green bubble. <laughs> nice. Uh, desktop or laptop, which is better with respect to performance? UN. Uh, definitely a desktop. And I'll tell you two reasons. One form factor allows you to get in there and reconfigure it, adjust, add stuff on as you see fit. So it's also priced a lot better because you can buy something with only 16 gigabytes of RAM today. And then you can add in two more sticks of RAM and up to, to 32 gigs of RAM when you have more money three, you know, three months from now. So it's a lot more flexible as far as bang for your buck for you to upgrade as a path and spend time building it up into something that really does work well. Um, laptops are purely for convenience sake. So that means that, you know, with the flexibility of being able to take it anywhere that you go, you are losing on upgrade paths from a form factor standpoint. Very difficult. Not to say it's impossible. A lot of, a lot of, especially if you go with a gaming laptop, a lot of them will allow you to add RAM or SSDs for storage or expand your storage out, things like that. But from a, you generally won't be able to touch your cooling. You won't be able to improve on that. Clean, uh, cleaning it would be a, I'm not going to say impossible. You can definitely clean cooling on laptops. But if you wanted to, if you wanted to adjust RAM in some laptops, they can be fused to the board. I've had a couple that have done that where the motherboard and the RAM are soldered together. Um, generally speaking, you'll have more drive bays or SATA connections on a desktop PC than you will on a laptop. So, some laptops, like I said, they come with expansion slots, so they allow you to take out one SSD and put in another SSD, things like that. But you're generally just limited by form factor. It's it, The decision point is not whether or not a tower is better than a laptop. It's do you want the portability of a laptop? And again, if you're once you start working with a company, I've yet to be at one that they don't issue you a laptop in some way, fashion, or other. Um, yeah, so that would be one consideration. Um, okay, making sure I get all the comments. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, cool. So as we move forward, we talked about the um, technology itself. Now let's talk about the behaviors. Step one, 
to operational security is try not to become a target in the first place. And what that means is be respectful when you talk about the adversary. They're attackers. They're hackers. They're capable of targeting certain systems and breaking into them. That's literally the profession. Try not to piss them off. <laughs> That's um, try not to make them mad. Try not to become the target in the first place. That is the first step in cybersecurity. I always feel bad whenever I see a CEO, COO, um, usually I've not seen a CTO or CIO or a CISO yet make this mistake, but somebody that goes up on a business stage and a couple years ago, I've seen more than one that's like, oh, we're great. We're the best. Our, we've invested so much money into our cybersecurity protocols and they go up and they're bolsterous about it. And then sure enough, within the next couple of months, you hear about a, a breach that's happened in their network and how much has been lost. If you don't poke the bear, don't don't poke the giant. You know what I mean? It's the step one to the best behavior to remain operationally secure as a cybersecurity analyst, a cybersecurity engineer, even a penetration tester is do not poke the sleeping giant. Do not. Try, try not to become a target in the first place. And as that with a grain of sand comes the rest of the recommendations because remember, nation state actors have so much hype in media because they are capable. Some of these tips, some of this usage will not protect you against somebody that is actively targeting you, right? So step one is to try not to be targeted in the first place. Um. Step two, and I know this is going to sound just like a cybersecurity awareness speech, but it's the truth. Password behavior. Long passwords. A lot of people argue complexity, but we've already talked about on multiple other channels that length is better than complex, right? So a lot of times, though, nowadays, because the complexity issues require that you add complexity in there, you have to hit a minimum amount of you know, special characters, numbers versus capitals and lowercase numerics, whatever. Point being is having a longer password is the best. Now, a lot of individuals choose to use a password manager. That's fine. If you choose to use a password manager, make sure that you have it synced across multiple things and that you're able to access it. One thing I would caution about is if you make a password requirement or policy that is too complex and you have to frequently reset your password, then you are basically bypassing your security control because you have a manner of which to reset your password easily, right? If somebody was to compromise your email account that manages that password reset procedure, then it doesn't matter how complex or long your passwords are. They've already compromised your initial account and they're able to reset all the passwords they want to. So make sure that you're creating passwords that are useful and that you can manage in a meaningful way and that you're appropriately protecting the email account that's used as a backup. If there is a secondary backup available for your important count, uh, accounts, I would recommend using the secondary backup. We'll get into email usage in a second. Obviously, having multiple accounts is important, but we'll get there. Um, I kind of already touched on this when we talk, talked about technology, but maintaining up-to-date software, making sure that you're up-to-date with the versioning control within reason. 
And I say that within reason because some versions can break, you know, functionality. So I would, I generally recommend staying with as up to date as it makes sense, depending on what type of system it is. If it is um, an, a single application within a version or two, a version control, kind of the same type of mantra that you would do for an enterprise. Um, if it's key functionality, so for example, if I go live on OBS, which is open broadcast software, um, and I'm about to go live on there and I get a, an update version uh, notification, I'm not going to update right then because I might, you know, break my system or lose all my scenes. There's a, there's a risk to updating possibly, right? So I'll hold off till my stream is done and then I'll take a maintenance window over the weekend and I'll go make sure I back everything up and update my OBS. It's very similar to the way that you need to maintain, you know, your phone's upgrades, everything else like that. Just maintaining it in a meaningful manner that makes sense for you as an individual. Like I said, just like the password policy, just like the security steps, if you can't do it easily in the rhythm of your life, then there's no point in writing it down. Um, this one is going to ruffle some feathers because like I said, it's cybersecurity awareness and it looks simple. But if we can, if I can get the production staff to take a look at my screen real quick. Um, one, when it comes to emails, don't click on links. And I mean, period, do not click on links. Um, copy, paste them into the browser, inspect them before you enter and before you visit. Uh, same with attachments, review attachments. If I can get uh, screen share going, I'll give you guys an example, um, show you exactly what it is. When it comes to pace, when it comes to attachments, get used, get comfortable with something called a sandbox. If you're not familiar with what a sandbox is, this is any.run. There's a couple free versions. I believe there's another called Joe's Sandbox. Hybrid analysis is another one that's out there as well. But what a sandbox for malware analysis is, is you can submit a sample. Now that can be an attachment. It can also be a URL. Know what you're clicking on. Now, when it comes to attachments, I generally don't interact as part of my operational security. I don't interact with attachments that I didn't ask for. If I didn't ask somebody to send me a PDF, I'm not going to click on the PDF that's sitting in my inbox. Um, now, if it looks like my aunt sent me a bunch of JPEGs uh, or PNG files, which are pictures, then yeah, I might download them and I'd take a look at them and inspect them real quick to make sure that the file extension is exactly what it's supposed to be. That's actually probably a good one that I didn't include on my list. Uh, one thing I will do on all the operating systems I interact with is I will adjust my view in all of my windows to make sure I can see the file extensions of everything I interact with because I want to see if it's an executable versus a photograph versus a PDF file, you know, so or a text file just to make sure that inherently I understand the risk of whatever it is I'm going to click on. Having said that, in any run here, this is a sandboxed environment, meaning that you can submit up either URLs or you can submit up uh, files, um, so executables, pictures technically. Now, when you submit this stuff up, it becomes public, generally speaking. So these are all public, uh, publicly available views. Now, with a sandbox, though, what it does is it sets up a bunch of monitoring and recording. So when you interact with the system, you can see what it's doing on the back end. 
um, reconnecting. This is a public one that I found that was shown earlier in this. You can go all the way to beginning where it has uh, this particular one, which is a .iso file that was submitted. And then you can see as it steps through what happens on interaction. It shows you a web.png, and then it jumps and boom all of a sudden you see reg server 32 and blah so in there you have an inescapably dot text all this stuff is going on in the background some of the other things if you had network file and it had reached out you would see hp requests connections dns requests this one in particular didn't reach out on the network but that's just because this is the first example i have uh, next example, reconnecting here. This does have a ton of HTTP connects requests. So DNS requests, specifically accounts.google, then rclickwise.net, um, all sorts of stuff. HCAPTCHA, reputation is malicious for this hcaptcha.com. Um, there's a couple others. There's no unsafe for href.li. Um, and I could, if I wanted to, download the PCAP or filter by a specific IP domain. My point being, though, is as a security professional, attack, defend, or engineer should get used to taking a sample, handling it safely, and then submitting it to a site that can look things up and allow you to take a look at what it does before or after you get involved. And this one, once you click it, it goes to our, it's a URL. So once you go there, it bounces around, it goes to a fake captcha, it goes, shows you this and then it blanks out example.com however you can see in the background all the stuff that it's getting involved in all the malicious chrome types and everything else like that i can keep rolling through um so get comfortable using that get comfortable with it any dot run is one hybrid analysis is another hybrid analysis kind of auto runs it and then sends you a report uh I, like i said i believe joe sandbox each of them have free tiers uh, that you can get involved with. Um, another good example would be something like Virus Total. Now, Virus Total is not a sandbox technically. Virus Total is more of a malicious search engine, if you will. It has something in the neighborhood of uh, 72 different reputation sites for antivirus via or um, AV um, malware reputation engines that are tied into it. So it just takes what we call indicators of compromise, searches it across the web and says, hey, do you recognize this? Is this known to be malicious? And then it will tell you from a search engine standpoint, yes, no, with a confidence score. For example, we're just gonna do google.com real fast, which is not gonna be malicious. Plenty of, plenty of uh, things in there, but these are all the different websites that it checks and verifies automatically against hey have you marked this as malicious previously involved um so as i said get really comfortable taking things that you receive via email again taking a look at the extension determining if it's something that can execute something malicious on your computer text files or text files are safe pictures can be saved depending on the type um you know, things personally, I worry about things like PDFs, um, obviously any type of executable, uh, certain types of picture, picture files or files that I don't recognize, RTFs, things like that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> it keeps going. Um, 
beyond that, let's talk about communication. Some people would say that it is important to use a VPN all the time. And it is and it isn't. I believe in what's, you know, the criticality of data or operations, data, data, criticality of data or operations. And what that means is in your mind, you have a running risk matrix, okay? If you are going online and doing a basic Google search for just a topic, a basic topic, let's say it is, um, I want to look up the local university. So I don't know, let's say Duke. I'm going to look up Duke University's educational programs for graduate students. Do I need to use a VPN for that? No, no, I, I really don't. Um, do I need to use a VPN to look up the indicators of compromise for APT 24? Possibly. It depends on what system I'm on. Uh, why am I looking up those that particular information? Should I be using a VPN to connect to Tor and take a look at do an OSINT collection? Possibly. I mean, Tor in and of itself is an anonymous service, anonymizer for service for a connection in and of itself. Um, we can keep running down the list. VPNs are excellent uses for sometimes masking. I have to say sometimes because VPNs by themselves aren't anonymous. They are not. That is a common misnomer is that VPN usage makes your account anonymous. That is not true. Um, what it does is it is a redirection through a private, generally private, uh, network with an exit node. The amount of an anonymity that happens from your entry to exit of that particular node depends on who's in control of that network. So you have VPN services that claim they shred their logs or things like that, that would give you a grace of possible anonymity. However, a any entity that manages the connection, so let's say you're going from your house to the network VPN and then out the VPN network in, I don't know, I'm just going to say, uh, let's say Amsterdam, Deutschland, right? Um, well, Deutschland's Germany. Anyway, sorry. Amsterdam, we're coming out of the node in Amsterdam. There is still a point that you could be monitored from your house to that connection node by your ISP or anybody that sits on that node, that backbone as well, right? So VPN is not a foolproof plan. Furthermore, if you're, for example, utilizing a business VPN that you have to your company to go to their backend, that's not going to be anonymous either. That's going to be monitored by the business client fully accessible as well so vpns are useful but you have to make sure you understand the terms and conditions in which you're utilizing that vpn as well as what your goals are to do um are being appropriately masked i say that and i go back to what i had talked about when it comes to a risk matrix a risk matrix would be day-to-day -day interaction versus critical data, which would be things like financial or research that you might be doing as a security researcher, to all the way to the far, far extreme, which would be things like if you're actively conducting a hack against some form of a foreign adversary. 
this level of operation security is what we used to do in some parts and forms of the uh, of the military. Uh, Samson, I see you. The Netherlands. Yes, you are correct. I'm I'm blanking on the fly. It's all right. Um, now that I see that, uh, let me take a look at some of these real quick, and we'll get back to it. Uh, question, how will somebody with CCIE security switch to cybersecurity? You're already in there. You're just doing it from an engineering standpoint. Take a look at operational roles that you would like to take a look at, you know, do. Um, I'm sure that there is an instant response, you know, cybersecurity analyst position available for you anytime that you'd like. Um, what else do we have? Hey, I'm a fresh graduate and doing a training in security area. What is your advice to me on how to improve my skills quickly? Uh, Obla, I would say, um, you know, practice, practice, get engaged with our lab environment and muscle memory. I used to take my guys and, uh, the ones that I was responsible for their training when I was in the military and I would have them run through skills over and over and over again to where they would almost speed run something. Um, one of the, one of the skills that I had them speed run was how to reset a switch uh, when you don't have the username and password to get access to it administratively, how to br basically break into a Cisco switch back when this was necessary. Uh, that was because we would frequently fall into equipment that had been used by prior individuals and they did not give us the username and passwords of devices. It happened all the time. It also happened with laptops. So my team was um, very adept at breaking into stuff that had password protection on it because out of necessity of operations it made things actually really difficult. Uh, when I went to go get my security clearance, my top secret clearance, because I, one of the questions is, have you ever knowingly, um, bypassed or broken the cybersecurity or the security protocol of a federal government device or something like that. And I had to put, yes, yes, I did. Yes, I have multiple times because that was part of the job, unfortunately. So it was a weird thing to, and of course it got me flagged, but that's a whole other story. I think I'll say for uh, IT horror stories of how it took three years for me to get a top secret clearance. <laughs> um, moving back to what we were talking about, let's talk about the criticality of data. Um, and the whoop, that is not looking well um some other things that you can do so when we talk about risk or we talk about the way that things are organized and what you're doing on a daily basis we talked about laptops um things that you would keep on your personal cell phone your device um uh, utilizing vpn one thing that i want to highly recommend is multi-factor authentication now obviously there is a, such a thing as authentication um, exhaustion, which is where your authenticator app starts going wild and keeps asking you over and over again to approve, 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 approve until somebody finally does. We just saw that when we did the Cisco Talos review of their, um, their breach that happened at Cisco when I was with, with Brian McGann. Um, take a look at our YouTube if you'd like to see that episode we did just, a, I don't know, about a month ago. Um, having said that, I personally will turn on MFA for items that involve finance. If it involves finance, it involves money. If it involves sensitive company data, MFA is turned on. Um, I choose when and where to turn on MFA. I don't think 
it's quite necessary for me to turn it on, for example, for Instagram, if I'm logging in there or some for a personal account or something like that. Um, in some instances, it is. If you are a streamer or a personality or, you know, a social personality or something like that, an influencer, then yeah, turn on your MFA for your Instagram because you have however millions of followers and that's where you make money, right? But for you and your model, your security model, that is your critical environment. That is your crown, you know, your king jewels, your 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 jewels to the kingdom, your keys to the, the doorway, if you will. So that's where you need to identify yourself and do a review and determine what are the things that can get me in trouble? What are the things that could really injure me, injure me digitally if I was to lose control of these items? Um, speaking of losing control of the items, one thing that I think is a little bit more of a Gen Z millennial type of mindset, but is to have a multitude of personas when you involve when you're involved online. And what that means is it is very commonplace nowadays and highly recommended to have an email account that's just for business use. It is extremely recommended to have one that's just for bill use and then have another that quote unquote is the throwaway one where we give to all the spam and the collectors and things like that. Um, having multiple email accounts is not exactly, you know, it's not new tactics or strategies, but having one that is involved with cybersecurity that you can use for malicious emails, like, oh, this looks malicious as hell. Let me send that to my dump site. That's one I recommend because as you collect all of your malicious emails, you can take a look and see if somebody's specifically trying to target you based on something you've interacted with. If you start seeing ads that look very clickbaity because they obviously want to scam you in some way, shape or form, and it is a theme thematic all the way down all of these malicious emails, then that would be, you know, something to consider. I would also recommend not utilizing Gmail or Outlook for that last one for any type of malicious emails because they actually have very good automated security controls and you could accidentally blacklist your other accounts by continuously sending malicious spam to a certain, you know, one particular area. That's fun. Um, obviously, we already talked about not engaging via links, not engaging via attachments. Some of the other things that are great to do when it comes to emails is... Uh, specifically sign up for accounts utilizing um, multitude of names. So for example, if you have, um, when you deal with third-party vendors, right? And let's say you do Amazon or you do uh, walmart.com or whatever else, and you are involved in shipping. You don't necessarily need your first name to be exactly what it is. So my full name being Jack Reedy, I don't necessarily need my actual full name on that package to be Jack. I could just put my first name being Walmart, or I could put my first name being uh, Jack W or whatever else. I can use nomenclature in the accounts that I set up with third-party businesses that identify what, what business I have interacted with. So I could use WA to specify for Walmart and put that as my middle name or put that as my surname on a package. Utilizing that method, I can start seeing whenever advertisers are popping up with my name being ingested. So I can see when Walmart sold my name 
to an advertiser or another company, things like that. Um, another idea is also setting up personas, very specific personas. Um, for, for example, I have several friends that their first name is the same across everything. And then they have, uh, they'll rotate second names, third names, whatever for anything that they involve with that is not legally federally required that they give their actual legal name, um, documentation. I once had a boss and I swear to you, I knew her as this full name and that's what she was at work and everything else like that. And then she told me, Hey, if you ever find anything on me about me online, you're keeping an eye out for it, etc. Let me know. I said, well, why is that? She's like, cause that's not my actual name. So the entire persona I know this woman has, her actual legal name is something completely different. And it's kind of amazing. So basically, only thing that she's involved in for that name is her professional persona, and that's it. Uh, you couldn't find her via anything else as far as where she lived or her address or anything like that. And I thought that that was amazing. And that's something that you could also start developing um, if you need to for a cybersecurity analyst position or you know, it, again, is this comes to your daily mantra, what it is that you are comfortable with. Um, Sankar, uh, I'm a network architect and I'm looking to start a career in cybersecurity, specifically into cloud security. Highly recommend taking a look at our multi-cloud uh, certification as well as we should be having something coming out in the next couple ages. We'll see. Um, that, I'll let the official announcements come out for that. But um, I would take a look into a certification or two and start, you know, bidding yourself out to work in that field. You know, um, I think a lot of it is, I think a lot of it is just positioning yourself as I have this experience and this is what I would like to do. Um, all right. So if I can get a screen share again, I will go ahead and pivot this back to one final recommendation that comes to finances as far as what it is that we can do from a day-to-day -day basis and then um, wrap wrap this up. So if you have any other questions, please be sure to send them my way. Um, but yeah, if I can get a screen share again from uh, our production team, and we'll finish it up on the monetary side of things. Now, we talked about multiple personas. We talked about uh, use of best behaviors when it comes to emails and multiple email accounts. Um, let's see if we got any commentary. And checking it on the commentary. Um, so with that, want to talk about the use of, there's one particular service called privacy.com, which allows you to utilize multiple, multiple different, this is not showing up the way it is supposed to. Come on. There we go. All right. Wonderful. So what that allows you to do is that allows you to set up multiple digital cards. So whenever you're engaging in a sh online shopping um, of some some point, and I already talked about you can use multiple names, whatever, for your shipping. Specifically, though, this allows you to control your finances from a digital perspective, uh, engaged with the um, actual cards you can select how much to pay when to pay how to pay it's also very easy to rip these cards destroy them and then sign up for another one um, there is a limited support free support up to 12 cards i think it is and then you know a charge pro version as well 
but to talk about finances from a professional aspect, highly recommend signing up for credit monitoring services. A lot of times these come free with your banks, but being able to track your finances, uh, have automatic alerts that come to you whenever something doesn't look right. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've been saved from uh, credit skimmers when working you know, in and out of Manhattan, going to places I don't recognize, utilizing a card, and then all of a sudden I get a notification that, hey, are you trying to spend this amount of money over at Samsung? No, I'm not. Cool. Blocked. You're going to need a new card. Thank you for dealing with. In that case, it was Chase, but I've had multiple different banks that will do that for you. Uh, whenever I specifically go with um, online shopping, I'll use privacy.com, which is great. Another recommendation is divesting your money. And what I mean is don't necessarily have your paycheck all go to one bank account, separate it up into two or three bank accounts. So if your identity is compromised or one of your bank accounts is compromised, you still have financial services available in multi multiple other banks. And that could be, you know, keeping a primary account in one bank and a savings account in another bank, something else like that. Um, another method is I generally will keep a couple a grand or two on cash on hand, saved up, um, in a personal, in a personal location. The reason for that though, is I was a child in Florida and the early thousands, whenever we were hit by like three or four hurricanes in one year. And I've seen the devastation of what a hurricane can do, how it can knock out power and, you know, telecom services for days at a time. So I'm for ages now, I and this is just me, I've kept what I consider to be a bug out bag and some cash because if the internet or the electricity goes out and you can't do cash card transactions, it's good to have a little hands-on cash. Well, it actually turns out that it's great also from a cybersecurity perspective because if your account gets compromised and they are like deep compromised, you get lose access to all of your banks. You still have some cash on hand to pay for gas, food, and whatever else in the short term while you're still figuring out how to get regain access of your personal accounts and your personal um, finances as well. Um, another good example of that from a backup perspective is to um, have an account that's shared with a significant other that you can transfer money in and out of or that they can transfer money in and out of. Um, so that way, you have, like I said, separate pools of money, an ability to engage with in multiple instances. So we've talked about everything from finances to day-to-day -day operations, different tools, techniques, and behaviors. Like I said, it's not specifically about the technology in your hand per se. It's a lot more about the behaviors and being cognizant, um, having situational awareness of, I didn't ask for this. Should I review it? Should I investigate it? Copying a link and pasting it into something to take a look at it. I frequently will copy and paste stuff into text browsers just to, you know, inspect it. Um, I, I I think that we went over just about everything. I'm taking a look at my list. I'm taking a look at if we have any more questions in our chat. It doesn't look like it right now. Um, oh, oh. Excellent, excellent. And wonderful. Okay. Well, with that, we don't have any more audience questions. I'm going to go ahead and say that that does wrap up today's stream. Thank you so much for watching. If you did happen to miss it live, look for the replay across our social channels and on the INE website 
As a reminder, we will be doing the IT horror stories, which I have more than a couple, but take a look at all of our socials to make sure that you get the links for those. You're able to submit them so we can give away the uh, one year live one year live subscription. Sorry about that. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe and follow across all the social platforms you're using so you can stay in the loop for details on the next stream and notifications when we go live. Um, as always, stay safe. If you have any questions, feel free to reach across me. I mean, you can at me. I'm SecIT guy across Twitter. But until then, we'll see you next time and have a great week.